You've selected a show from the Podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. This episode of No Love Lost is brought to you by FredsBS.com. That's breads and spreads by Fred. Guys, if you haven't been able to tell already, FredsBS.com is the best place to go for fantastic cookies and brownies and jams and blondies, all sorts of delicious stuff. I'm not even normally a big jam person, and I friggin' love his jams. His All of his recipes are fresh, never frozen. They're flavors you can't find in stores. Uh, and if you're an L.A. local, you can actually waive the whole shipping thing and actually pick up your deliveries for free. Um, but guys, trust me. We've been working with Fred for a little while now. His stuff is amazing, and the seasonal stuff that he produces are all fantastic. His brown sugar buddies are a favorite of mine. I also really, like, they really go good with tea and coffee. They're fantastic. I'm also a big fan of his blondies, and like I said before, all of his seasonal stuff is absolutely fantastic. I'm going to go ahead and cut it off there because, uh, guys, we've got a long episode ahead. So I'm going to end this by saying go to fredsbs.com, use the coupon code NOLOVELOST if you want to support the show and also get yourself some delicious treats. Okay, remember, fredsbs.com, NOLOVELOST coupon code for 20% off your order. Do it. You won't regret it. You'll thank me later. Now that being said... For the last time for season one, Michelle, if you would be so kind. Let's go to the island. I would like to see the polar bears. There was a crash, and there are others, and there are numbers, and it all means something. Supposing anybody may know, there are times we hang our heads in sadness. We We had to go back. Did we, though? Did we? You know we did. <laughs> I feel like that's debatable. Welcome back to No Love Lost, the podcast where we break down episode by episode the hit ABC series Lost. This is our... Final episode! Oh my god! Well, it's been such an honor getting to talk to the show about, you know, no, 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 no. this amazing show that only lasted for one season. Just this like Heroes! Just, How sad and tragic. This, I'm with you on Heroes. <laughs> Heroes only lasted one season, but Lost lasted six strong seasons, and we're at the end of No Love Lost's first season. <laughs> You couldn't finish that sentence without a drink in your hand. I just want the listeners to know. Let me tell you what. We have poured ourselves tall glasses of whiskey tonight because we've got a big one to dissect. I'm Will Link. With me, as always. Megan Salinas. Hey, everyone. And we are going to talk about Season 1, Episode 23 and 24, Exodus, Parts 1 and 2. Uh, part two being a two-hour episode. Because <laughs> that's not how it's numbered on Hulu at all. It's, so I, I, I was, I mean, I have it in my thing. It's DVD, part, right? Yeah, I have it on the DVD. It's 
Exodus Part 1, Exodus Part 2. Which I but believe I, is how it aired. Yes, but I do know in other places where you stream it, it's Part 1, 2, and 3. Yeah, um, I, I can't... I don't know if it's on Netflix, um, but if you stream it on Hulu, it is definitely broken, broken down as Exodus Parts 1, 2, and 3. And at that point, I was like, oh, well, how are we going to cover three episodes? <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, because my thought was, well, the, when we did the pilot, we did parts of one and two. Yeah. So let's just do parts one Exodus and two. Exodus one and two. <laughs> but we're like, oh, yeah, Exodus part two is three hours. As I popped in my DVD and saw, like, oh, okay, this one's going to be a long one. <laughs> um, but you knew it was going to be a big one when you saw the credits. It is written by Damon Lindelof and Carlton Coos, who that are the sense. two... You know, they, I mean, any important episode. They're the ones responsible for this. Damon Lindelof, possibly one of my favorite writers of all time. <laughs> After we're done with this, we're going to get into a whole breakdown of the movie Prometheus. <laughs> what? And I'm going to explain <laughs> no. why I like it. No, 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 no. Don't make me do it. Um, and it's directed by Jack Bender, who is directed, <gasps> uh, he directs, you know, he'll go on to direct the, the finale, he, and he's di- he directed the most episodes of Lost. And, uh, and, you know, it shows. He's a very competent director, and that's not the first time I've said that on this show, because his work sort of speaks for itself. Uh, I do want to point out, um, real quick, I should have talked to you about this off-air, but there was a little bit of Lost news sort of circulating today, or more like gossip. It's more of gossip. Around. Do we want to wait to the end of the show to talk about that, or should we tackle this, like, right at the beginning here? You know, I was about to say we should hold it as a tease for the end, but the fact is we're going to talk about so much stuff we're probably going to forget. That's why, like, I, I, we were talking about the, the episode itself off-air, and I forgot to bring up the gossip. There was a little bit of news today that the head of ABC said that they would welcome a return to Lost. They would want more Lost. And mm. even uh, Carlton Coos was saying that he wouldn't want it to be the, the same characters if they did this. I went to reach for my phone to pull up a piece of news, and I realized that I purposely left my phone over by my purse. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> because fine. I thought it would ring. We've got the gist of this. Well, uh, there was a specific um, there was a specific tweet I wanted to bring up. Quick, banter for a second. I'm going to go grab my phone. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, <laughs> what? All of a sudden, I've lost the ability to banter. Um, but, uh, yeah, so they're talking about, you know, they reboot everything. They rebooted Roseanne. That worked out for oh ABC. My God. So, yeah, but I, I mean, it kind of did because they did the Connors. ABC would love Lost to come back. Who would love Lost? Uh, uh, and if Lost I came back, say, that would add another dude, season to this podcast. Of no love lost. What? Uh, there was a specific tweet, and I'm going to look at it. Because um, it was one of the writers talking about it. Because, like, this isn't the first time these sort of rumors have popped up about rebooting or redoing the show in some way. Yeah, and I mean, it is the kind of show that you could do the Lost World, not Jurassic Park, <laughs> um, with other Although characters. Although we should totally have an episode about the Lost World Jurassic Park. Um, you find that tweet? Uh... The it's a little further down. Nothing more exciting than, <laughs> than listening to, to uh, Megan scroll through, scroll through Twitter. Twitter when 
Everybody wants to hear. I retweeted a lot of things today. You have a <laughs> lot of Twitter activity. I do. It was more like I passed it and then kept going. Uh, so what I wanted to ask in terms of like discussion, because like the whole reason I wanted to talk about this was because I wanted to get both of our takes on what we think, if, if it were to happen, what would the ideal Lost reboot look like? Would it be a continuation of the story? Would it be... Uh, something completely different with brand new characters? Would it be like what they tried to do with Heroes, where it's mostly new, but old characters I think you would have in? to have mostly new, but I think you would need some of the old characters. Now, there's this idea, you know, at the end of Lost, you know, Hurley is going to be, you know, the new Jacob, basically. And I think that it wouldn't be bad if you brought him back, if you brought him back, though, you'd have to bring Ben back. <laughs> and uh, oh no, Ben died off screen. <laughs> and older, old Walt. Yeah. And you bring and but I wouldn't bring more people back than that. And then it's about the new like what was the island like under Hurley's reign? What was the new guard and what sort of yeah. adversaries did yeah. they have to face with the new guard? Okay, I found the quote. Um, Brandon Katz, uh, who uh, is an entertainment journalist. Uh, tweeted out, you know, when this news was uh, kind of surfaced today, he wrote, Carlton Coos on a potential Lost reboot last summer. Damon and I have always been adamant that we told the story we wanted to tell. I would be fine if ABC hired somebody who had a good idea involving other characters that go to the island at some other point in time. And uh, newfound friend of the show, uh, friend of No Love Lost, uh, Zara, who is awesome and I love her, uh, Throughout the uh, quick pitch, now hold on, lost in space. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> my my whole thing, my my initial knee jerk reaction was no because you know we're we're right in the thick of really looking at lost in what I would argue is its heyday. You know that's what we're straight in the middle of covering, and I have a, a usual knee jerk no reaction to reboots anyway unless same. Unless you can prove otherwise. Like, I've been proven wrong before. Like, the Evil Dead reboot is fantastic. There are good reboots of things. I, but, so, but my initial knee-jerk reaction was no until I started thinking, you know, about all the stuff later on down the line of Lost that we're going to get that I dislike. Or even the sort of nitpicky stuff from this season. And that's when it finally occurred to me, Will, if we got a proper reboot of the show... Kate could finally be the main character. Mm-hmm. Kate could be the main character! She could, but we've also gotten to a point in Evangeline Lily's career that she probably doesn't want to go back to yeah, the island. this would be a new Kate. This oh, would be a Kate. complete, like, completely new versions of several of these characters. We wouldn't have to do one for one tell you what, for everybody. I guarantee you that if they brought it back, the leader, the de facto leader, the jack of the series, would be a Kate type. For sure. Like, like, it's always, and, and we'll talk about it when we start digging into this episode, but, like, the, it, it becomes more and more infuriating the longer we watch this show, watching Jack constantly usurp the protagonist stuff away from Kate. It's straight up infuriating. So to have a reboot where he did die in the pilot and she got to be the proper leader of the island, I'd be 
down for that. Even with all the fucking time-traveling bunnies we get later on, I would be down for main character Kate, because that would change so much. Well, I'm sure there'll be time enough to discuss <laughs> this idea, if it yeah. happens, because let's face it, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen somewhere where we're working on this series. <laughs> but, um, uh, so we should start totally workshopping ideas, um, and then we can get a Yeah, you know what, and I would love to hear what your ideas are. Yeah, for the Lost Reboot. Guys, what's your ideal Lost Reboot? Is it Lost in Space? Is it a sort of Survivor-esque reality game show? Like, where it's no, like... <laughs> if that's your idea, it is well, terrible. No, in like a dystopian, like, hear me out, Running Man, where, you know, it's like, uh, you know, reality game shows, but they're also death games, and Hurley. a bunch of people get dropped on the island, I and like, they have to fight to the death. I like the idea that Hurley cuts a deal <laughs> with CBS... He's like, we're going to have next season Survivor on the Lost Island. <laughs> and they're like, Hurley, this isn't a good way to protect the island. I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> Just trust me, dude. Okay, but we should probably get into we this should. because we've got, we've got basically so three hours of episode. And and I, and I wasted like three minutes just scrolling through Twitter. My apologies, everyone. I might cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> I might oh. just jump straight to it. You'll know at this point in the podcast. You'll know. Um, so let's start with the flashbacks. Mm-hmm. And this is, we get a little bit of everybody. And I, one of the things I was most looking forward to in rewatching this episode was this flashback in these sequences. Because I just remembered it being so much fun the first time watching this of everybody seeing how they all found themselves at the airport that day, seeing how they interacted or didn't interact with each other. How they, whether or not they crossed paths at all. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was a lot of fun. Um, so I was, I was thrilled to get into this stuff. Um, we might as well go with the first one that we see, and it's Michael and Walt. Oh, man. I remember Walt being a... I mean, I knew that he and his ha- dad had a strange relationship. I don't remember him being this obnoxious. Yeah, well, I mean, he's obnoxious, but he's a kid who just his mother just died. Yeah. So I'm going to cut him slack. Yeah, and the, the other thing And is, he doesn't know Michael. No, no. Uh, although I did, I kind of loved... And this is such a weird thing. It's a weird, like, adult thing to say. But I loved the ABC brand integration that we get in this moment. Because this was a time when Disney owned the rights to Power Rangers. They bought the rights from Saban, and they were having uh, Power Rangers on the Disney Channel, and everything was being produced in New Zealand. So that little bit where he turns on the TV and it's this really loud action show, it was that current iteration of Power Rangers. And I laughed and laughed because I'm like, ha, ABC, nice. Yeah, I did not realize that. I did not realize they were owned by that, but I should have because uh... Saban has since bought the rights back, um, and they a couple of years ago, you know, sold uh, the film rights to Lionsgate, um, which I never actually got around to seeing that movie. But I really appreciated it in this moment. Just Walt's a Power Rangers fan, and I commend you for that, kid. Well, Walt is also, I think, a fan for anything that'll keep his father awake and annoyed. <laughs> True story. And um, you know, Walt doesn't want to go. He is very defiant about it. He's running out the room. To the point where he's yelling at strangers, you're not my dad, you're not my dad, which is like 
Okay, it's really bad when, you know, a parent is trying their best to keep their kid under control, but it's even worse when they're like, I don't know this person. It's just like, yeah. you know what you're doing, you little brat. Yeah, but it's also this weird situation where it is his dad. Yeah, it is a stranger. But it's not, yeah, but yeah. it's also a stranger. And that's further exemplified by the second scene we have with them, which is where they're, uh, where Michael's at the airport and he's on the phone mm-hmm. and Walt's playing his uh, little Game Boy or whatever. And he's just like and, completely zoned out. And Michael is just basically on the phone with his mother being like, can you watch him? Can you take care of him? Yeah, I've got to be at work at five in the morning, you know? And I and I get it, because this is not anything he He's not signed equipped. up for. He's not equipped to handle he it. He was several years ago when he was happy when he was when he was so excited to be the best father in the world. Like he was equipped at that point in time. But fucking Susan took that away from him. <laughs> So, hey, look, and they talk about it later in the episode. On the yeah. book, he basically says, like, your mother took you, and that's what she and, thought was best. And he did exactly what anyone would do in that scenario. He he had to move on. He had to move on with his life. So when he yells, this was never part of the plan, you know, it's not that it wasn't at one point in time. It's not like he, you know, was a voluntary absentee father. Like, if he could have been there for Walt, had Susan allowed it, he would have been. So it's, you know, you can't really be mad at him for for moving on when she strong-armed him like she did, but, like, at the same time, it's like, this isn't a good situation for anybody. I'm looking down at my notes right now. I have written them, so many of them, and so microscopic. (laughs) I'm going to (laughs) lose such track of this. Wait, wait, wait. Did you put all of your notes for... All three parts on one piece of paper? Yes. Oh, dear. Oh, no. That was a mistake. <laughs> um, so, anyway, I was determined to, like, I could fit it all. So I wrote everything twice as small. I was going to say, it, it's kind of funny. If you look at the top of the page, like, there is larger font, and then it progressively gets smaller <laughs> the longer you write. <laughs> Um, so the other, so that's basically, Walt, Walt hears his father saying this, like, take this kid away from me, basically. (laughs) And, uh, you know, Michael sees that he sees that, and then he has to get him more batteries for his Game Boy. Um, meanwhile, we got Jack. Jack is at the bar, making Daddy proud. I loved this. I loved it when it aired. And I love it now. Well, this was interesting because Jack's sitting at the bar and uh, this woman comes up to him. Character Anna Lucia, played by Michelle Rodriguez. Hell yeah, it is. And Anna Lucia asks, like, oh, what was they yelling about? And, but she knows because yeah. she heard. And she starts asking him questions, questions about drinking, Questions about uh, being married, where we find out he's not married anymore. Oh, man. <laughs> he fucked up. He did so bad. And the, you know, and they start, they start, uh, I, at first it's, um, it not, I wouldn't say combative, but they're two definite, like, 
Like, she's got a little bit of a wall she has to break through in this conversation there's, initially. There's, but there's a, yeah. there's a flirty combativeness to it. They're two very strong personalities. And not to get too far into what we'll see in the future, but this is a really good scene for establishing that they are sort of on equal footing in terms of... Like, not necessarily, you know, because he's a, he's a doctor, but, like, you know, she's also not going to just acquiesce to whatever the doctor says. Now, Michelle Rodriguez, as an actress, is, like, I, I saw her in Widows, liked her in that. I've liked her in so many things. I was never a fan of the Anna Lucia character. She was always a character that bothered me. But I remember the first time seeing her in this scene, and was, and knowing, like... Like, oh, interesting. Like, knowing who she was. Like, is this going to be, like, a T-1000 situation where, like, we never see this person again? Or but maybe... I, I assumed that we wouldn't be introduced to a known actress in the finale of the season if she wasn't going to come back in some way. And she mentions about how... She's sitting in the tail section. She's, She's sitting, sitting back. Sitting in the back of yeah. the plane. And um, that's going to come into play when we, next season when we get into the tailies. <laughs> and uh, the other thing, I'm very curious to see if on a new viewing, whether I view her character differently. And I want, I'm going to see if knowing her fate, if I view her differently. Like, if I'll, I'll be more on board from the beginning with Anna Lucia. But I was never a fan of Anna Lucia's character. There's, um, not to, again, not to dip too far into what we'll be discussing next season, but there's always, there's always seems to have been some contention about whether her character's arc was planned or if it was course correction. Especially with, you know, the tabloids and everything like that. that a lot of people viewed it as course correction, I recently watched a retrospective that was like, well, actually look at it, like, and look at some of the behind-the-scenes stuff. This feels more like the end to a completed arc than it does for, like, a lot of send-offs for other yeah. characters. Yeah. So... And, and I also buy the idea that Michelle Rodriguez was never going to be on the show forever. for long. Yeah. Because she does have a movie career... Um, well, right around the time, I, I, you know, it'll, it will be interesting again, like revisiting the show, if, how I view Anna Lucia, because in all honesty, I don't remember much outside of the fact that it was Michelle Rodriguez that was cast and this initial introduction and then, you know, her send off. Um, I remember her being a stern foil to Jack yes. in a lot of ways. And she's very controlling. Yeah, and so. Jack can be controlling. And I'm not always crazy about Jack. Jack is not... Like, by the end of the series, I'm like, okay, I'm rooting for Jack because, you know, good versus evil. But <laughs> I've never been a big Jack guy. He's hero by default. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not because we chose him. Um, but, like, I, I, rem I don't ever really remember disliking her. If anything, I was only mildly frustrated at stuff the writers would did did later on not not nearly to the extent that I got frustrated with Kate's sort of story arcs and you know them not knowing what to do with her um, but the 
I I said I I remember her time on the show with a lot of fondness because at the time I was still in high school and one of my friends gave me the nickname Michelle Rodriguez um, because uh, one of for like one of my Spanish classes um, like I was arbitrarily like assigned the last name Rodriguez um, and my friend that seems weird it was yeah it's weird. <laughs> especially because my last name is Salinas. It's weird. Um, but also this person, when we first met, could never remember my name, so she kept calling me Michelle. And I'm like, not my name. Um, so it sort of became an inside joke, and eventually she started being like, oh, hey, Michelle Rodriguez, what's going on? So when Michelle Rodriguez came onto the show, I was like, aw, yay, I love her. <laughs> so you mentioned Kate. Let's talk about Kate now. Yeah, we fill in some uh, we fill in some holes. Now, uh, <laughs> was it a... We, was it just a week ago? Was it just in the last yeah, episode? Yeah, it was just the last episode. Where we were... We sat down and we, we we drilled into this going, this makes no sense. Why, why, why would this thing at the site of the accident... Because we couldn't remember. Yeah. In fact, we couldn't even remember whether she took the plane in that. And yeah. I, we, we had a little bit of a debate like, about that. How did it get... From the site of the accident to the inside of a safety deposit box, that makes no sense. Who would do that? His wife wouldn't do that. Like, I don't think the cops would do that. That makes no sense. And here, I think, like, the writers preemptively knew that they were going to have a bunch of fans on the internet going, how does the plane get from the end to the inside of a safety deposit so box? So they explained <laughs> it in the next episode. Because it's also not that guy. I mean, it's basically the U.S. Marshal was using a little plane to taunt her. Yeah. Put it in the safety deposit box. Although, by the way, if he was setting some trap, bad job, U.S. Marshal, <laughs> because did, you, did you bad. didn't do anything. I think we established very much in... I mean, we, we always knew it from the brief time that we knew the U.S. Marshal, that he had this weird and, fixation on her and I mean, this weird narrative in his head about their relationship. And he's laying it on thick in this yeah. scene. Like... The, he has her built up in his head so much. I, it makes me wonder if, like, there's not an episode later on down the line where we have a flashback and she seduces him. Like, because he has her built up so much as this dangerous criminal. Like, they straight up go, why do you need this many guns? And then he spends the next several minutes prodding her. He was waiting for the he's waiting been waiting for her to, to snap. Get, he's been waiting for that monologue to give. He's like he's like, ah, I hope someone asked me why I got on Which is, by the way, it doesn't you got five guns, all you need is one gun still. Yeah. <laughs> this is the the insane, corrupt US Marshal equivalent of a type five. Like he's waiting for the literal punchline. Oh man, I hate this guy so much. <laughs> and so does Kate, and she eventually, when he's really needing her about, like, the... What was your dead boyfriend's name? Yeah. What was his name? The guy you killed. You know you know that guy? You know that guy you killed? And what was it, like, Larry, or... <laughs> he baits her into attacking, but mostly because he could show, like, see, this woman's a problem. But then why do they let her on a commercial <laughs> airline? But I don't know how... But I mean, I guess that's something that happened. I guess that's how uh, they transport but people. But yeah, he's, like, that can't... That can't look professional to the people going, like... Well, the Australian guy's like, I guess that's how they do it in America. <laughs> right? I mean, he's just like... And you know what? 
He's not wrong. You are making a bad name for the U.S. Marshals. You're making a bad name for America. <laughs> You're doing a bad job all around. And you antagonize this person who, for all intents and purposes, can only fight back a little bit because you have her restrained in a way where she can't give you a real fight. But she still gives him a run for her money. Yeah. Because it's fucking Kate. <laughs> Oh, one day Detective Kate's going to be on the run again. Um, also, people uh, being uh, kind of forced out of Australia. Sawyer. <laughs> I really liked this. Or James Ford. Yeah, I, I really liked this because after he killed the guy that wasn't Sawyer, um, and then, you know, we, we saw him in police custody in another episode, that made me go, oh, like... Shoot, did they like? Did they suspect him of committing this murder? And I, you know, it made me go, oh, you know, what did he do? Well, no, it was just a drunken bar fight. It was just he got into with, a drunken bar fight with the wrong person. With an important person, the minister of agriculture, agriculture fishery. <laughs> it was some. It was some purposefully nonsense title. Like it was supposed to be funny, and I didn't write it all down because I was like. It's Who nonsense. Cares? He's a minister of blah, blah, blah. Uh, but they said, like, you gotta get out of here, and you're banned from Australia. Sawyer's forever. Yeah. <laughs> um, then you got Shannon. <laughs> Can I just say that even after, you know, all the stuff with, like, Boone and all the stuff that will, you know, all the stuff with her and Saeed, this is one of the things that always stuck with me about Shannon was that she did this. And I'm like, that's a real shitty thing to do. It's not just that he asked her to watch his bag and she abandons it. It's then to prove a point in her conversation with Boone. Boone! Of all people, Boone! She then is like, some Arab guy like, left a bag down there. And she's like, huh? And she's, he's like, what does he look like? An Arab guy. Oh, my God. Oh, it's now, the most awful, awful thing. Now, this is, this is no defense of Shannon. But, what was Saeed thinking? <laughs> like, would you ever leave your bag in anyone? There's a thing you have to fill out. When you're answering questions at the airport, like, has anyone else had your bag? Has your bag been in your possession at all times? Are you supposed to be able to say yes? Like, okay. N not to be whatever. Shannon's awful in this. Uh, how Are you victim-blaming Saeed? <laughs> I guess I am a little bit. Because would you... Okay, here's the thing. I would never just ask some stranger in an airport to watch my bag. Also, what am I doing that I can't have the bag with me? In the bathroom or something I bring, like that. I'm, bring, I'm, going, I'm flying this weekend. Guess what? I'm going to be in a bathroom stall <laughs> peeing with a suitcase next yeah, to me. I, I only ask people to watch my stuff at the airport if I'm traveling with them. Yes, exactly. Um, otherwise, like, it's awkward and, you know, it's, it's definitely you know, not great. But you bring your your stuff into the bathroom or you check your luggage. Okay. And One now, of the two. This next, part, this next part is unfortunate, but also Saeed is very intelligent. He's a smart guy. Knows what he's doing. 
he should be well aware of the political climate that he is also traveling he in. He was just on a secret mission infiltrating terrorism. Said, what the fuck you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? Why did you leave? <laughs> Why did you think it would be okay to just leave your bed with anyone, let alone the the clearly vapid girl, American girl? Now, see, I had a theory about this. But it completely falls to pieces when you think about where he's going. Like, because at first I thought, I was like, oh, Saeed has found, you know, we know that Saeed and Shannon, uh, you know, engage in a relationship when they, when they get to the island together. I was like, maybe he saw her at the airport and was like making an early pass. Like, oh, hey, pretty lady, could you please watch my bag? Like, yeah, oh, but he's be going so to helpful. find Nadia. <laughs> but yeah. That's the thing. It complete that theory completely falls apart when you remember. Oh yeah, no, he's flying to go meet his long lost love. If that's the case, the literally the only thing I can think of is that he's so distraught about his friend's fate that he's not thinking clearly, or he's so happy about the notion of finally getting reunited with Nadia that he's over the moon stupidly happy. I'm so excited. I'm gonna let everybody watch my bag. <laughs> As um, I skip off to the kiosk to, like, go buy headphones. I don't know. Um, then we got Sun and Jin. And uh, we got a nice little scene where... Uh, Again, confronted with so much racism. <laughs> well, it's, yeah. They're being made fun of in their relationship and the way she's kind of, like, doubting on... Uh, 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 Jin. Yeah, like setting him up with the napkin and bringing the food over and everything. And this obnoxious American couple, they're making some comments like, like his real memoirs of a of a geisha come to life and Ugh. things like that. Uh, and the thing is that we know Sun understands everything they're saying. She knows. And when Jin walked away to go to the bathroom. I couldn't remember if she said anything to them, but I, I was like, oh, totally I totally so... thought she was going to turn around and be like, hey, go fuck yourselves. But she didn't. And no, like, and I get it. it. You want to you keep your cover. I get yeah, it. Yeah, it doesn't make sense that she would have, well, but I so wanted her to. Yeah, I, I really wanted her to ask, like, oh, excuse me, do you know where I can get more napkins? Like, any. It didn't have to be, like, as rude as, like, oh, you guys are racist dicks. Um, but, like, something to show, hey, Maybe you should check your privilege and your preconceived notions of who I am and what my journey's like, so bye. Also, I am, um, I'm never one to complain about little, little minor continuity or logic errors, but for whatever reason, and this never bothers me, and it's in every movie and TV show, but for whatever reason, it was so apparent that when she came over to the table with the coffee, that there was nothing in that cup. <laughs> like, that never... I mean, because that's the thing. In, in movies, there's never anything in the cups. And you could tell sometimes by the way people are holding it. And, stuff. and this was the most... As she was, like, putting that lid on the cup that it's like, oh, it's clearly there's it's nothing clearly in there. Empty. It's clearly completely empty. Um, the, the thing I was sitting down wondering was, I was like... Is this before or after she decided to stay with him? <laughs> I assume after, because they're probably through security at this yeah. point. But I sat there and I was like, if this is, like, right after she decides to stay with him, then that's just, like, 
this just like being prodded with a needle. Yeah. Oh man. Because she's like, I could have, I could have, I could have at the very least been away from this airport, <laughs> away from these awful people. But then we have Jin goes to the bathroom. And like, as as awful as it is to watch the this microaggression against you know against Sun and Jin from this two entitled these two entitled people, um, I will say that it acts. You know, much like a lot of Sun and Jin flashback stuff, it acts as a nice inverse for what we're about to see. Yeah, which is Jin goes to the the bathroom and first he's having this somewhat innocent encounter with this guy who's like, pass me a paper towel. And Jin doesn't know what he's saying. The guy's like, oh, sorry, I didn't realize you don't speak English. And then he gets the paper towel, but then he starts speaking Korean. Yeah, what a great, again, what a great inverse of what we just got. And not only does this guy speak Korean, but he works for Jin's father-in-law. Yeah, and it's like, we know you're thinking of running. Like, don't you, don't you <laughs> Could run. you imagine how terrible it would have been for Jin if Sun, like, chose to leave at that moment? Like, oh my gosh, there's no way that, you know, her, her father wouldn't have just looked at Jin and assumed that this was all his doing, that it was some some yeah. plan. Yeah. Oh, they would have murdered him so bad. So it's a good thing so decided thing. to stay. And that then they got into a plane crash. Um, now let's move on to Charlie. Oh, but we should point out that oh, what, what, what the guy wants is, he's like, you're going to go to California, deliver that watch. Yeah. You know? Just like your father-in-law wants you to. Yeah. You know, the watch currently being worn by Michael. That's right. Later in the episode, he gives Michael yeah. the watch. You keep it. I literally don't care. <laughs> Which is a great symbolic moment. Yeah. Um, so, Charlie has gone on some kind of little bender. <sighs> After his brother rejected him, which makes sense. And he's with some, some junkie girl and Charlie's looking for he's searching the room to find just a little bit more heroin and the girl's like oh can we do like a bump can we do it and he's like he's like nope couldn't find any must have done it all and she knows he's lying junkies no junkies <laughs> and she knows he's they lying. understand the lies yeah yeah because she would have lied about the same thing and she found it and they get into a fight uh, yeah, this was uncomfortable. Yeah, where he clearly, it's gotten to the point where he's saying he doesn't have any, but he's clearly holding it in his hand, yeah. and she's just trying to get it, and he's desperately, and eventually succeeding, of not, unlike, releasing his fist like he's got it in there. And uh, she even calls him pathetic. Which is, you know, she's also, you know... Stones at glass houses, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, but, like, this was so uncomfortable. Just, like, they're, they're you know, t seeing two desperate people um, fight over the last bit of heroin. It Yeah, it was super uncomfortable. I'm gonna... Because I particularly want to end on what I think is the most fun one. So let's just cut to the, the, the lock moment. Okay, yeah. Uh, first. Which, I remembered this, and this is an upsetting moment where they don't have the chair to, yeah. that they need to put him on the plane. And I remembered this. I remember it being really kind of humiliating that these 
two people have to carry Locke on. I mean, in one regard, it's nice that the guy... Oh, yeah, it. he's like, but hey, no, still... we, can, we can get this done, because if he didn't, then Locke was going to have to wait another day to go home. And here's the other thing. I mean, Locke is, we've already seen him be such a proud guy. He wanted to go on the walkabout. He wants to do these things for himself. And Don't knowing this came, this yeah. comes on the heels of that, and they have to carry him and put him it's, onto the plane. It's the final indignity before the plane goes down. The ask question. What, what, what if he has to go to the bathroom on a flight? It's a long flight. Too. It's like 17 hours, right? Oh, man. I guess you either hold it or you flag down a, fi- a flight attendant. But they don't have a chair. Well, no, that's that's what I'm saying. You flag down the flight attendant to be like, hey, could you, like, help me? Uh, but I think the actual answer is you just hold it, man. You just hold it till you get to the airport. Is it like... Does he have to wear, like, a catheter or something? I don't think so. <laughs> He's not on dialysis <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm just thinking, of, does he have to, like... I, I don't know. I don't I th- think I so. I was thinking about this, which is terrible, but... No, I, was... I mean, it's a legitimate medical question. If somebody is incapable of getting up and going to the bathroom, it's a legitimate question, I think. Doctors, call into the show. Hey, Jack, Jack, <laughs> let us know. <laughs> um, You know who doesn't get an individual moment? Uh, Claire. Oh. I mean, we see her on the plane, boarding the plane. But yeah, we don't get a lead-up scene. a pregnant woman, and we see Arts huh. I guess uh, help her uh, with her bag, Arnst. I, I mean, I guess because her story had such a rush lead-up to the airport, like, I guess it wouldn't have been super informative. It's just... Like, oh, okay, she's... Maybe it would... Or maybe something got cut. I bet you. I bet you there was. Um, and then... Because, especially because of what the episode focuses on in regards to Claire's story, it does seem weird to leave her out of the initial lead-up to the airport, because you could show the contrast between wanting to give the baby away versus give me back my baby. That is so weird that to leave her out. Interesting. Um, so anyway, the best one, and the one I was most excited to watch, and the one that I had remembered the most, <laughs> uh-huh. is Hurley's. Hurley. And Hurley. Oh, man. Hurley's is so much fun. Hurley, it's the, it's the perfect example of his bad good luck. Yeah. Because, strangely enough, his... his Good fortune is doing everything it can to keep him off the plane uh, <laughs> by sending him all of these bad things to keep him from the airport, and he has the misfortune of hopping onto the plane anyway. There's a power outage. There's then he can't get it, so he, he's running late because his alarm didn't go off. Then he can't get on the elevator. The elevator's packed. Charlie's on the elevator, though. And he has to run down the stairs. Then he has to he has to get a car. He gets the car. It gets a flat tire. Like everything that is going wrong can't. He gets to the airport. He has to buy an extra ticket because a man of his size. And that it, what is it with 
the the personnel at this Australia at the Sydney airport because there's that whole debacle with Jack going on inside and then this person being like, mm, "Do you want me to weigh you, sir?" Yeah, like she is the worst. She could care less that he's trying to get back in time for his mother's birthday. And like again, she like it's like she doesn't have time to dance around his feelings because she's like, "Oh, do you want me to weigh you here and now in public?" In front of everybody? Like, that's what that's what's happening. You're undermining my authority right now, so I'm going to shame you publicly. Then, Is that just the Australian way? Then he's at the wrong terminal. <sighs> then he... What? Hurley, you can't cut the line. You can't cut the security line. Oh, I'm sorry. No. You can't do it. But he tries to cut the security line. Then he finally gets in. He gets a scooter. He gives a guy... How much money does he give dollars $1,600, $1, to, yeah, oh, in fact, yeah. Um, it's right in front of me. <laughs> um, he gives this guy $1,600 so he could get his scooter. And he used the scooter and he gets to the, the gate just as they close the door. And he basically begs them, begs to get on this flight. Because, because it's his mom's birthday tomorrow. He has to be home for his mom's birthday. And Aww, they they were able to get him onto the flight, and he picks up the the uh, the the woman who I works love, there, and he spins her around. It was such a moment. Picks her up. Like it was, it was very reminiscent of when he hugged Rousseau. Yes. Where it's like it's this genuine moment of human warmth, and and you're like, oh. <laughs> and then he gets on the plane. This is also this great sh- shot I love. Of when they're showing everybody board the plane, and Walt looks up and sees Hurley walking by, and Hurley gives him like this, like kind of thumbs up with his tongue <laughs> out, like it's like a weird like <laughs> look he gives him. But Walt likes it and makes Walt laugh, because uh, Hurley's a presence, not just because of his sons. Like he is a presence, like he is a joyful presence into anyone's day. Like warmth is one of the words I keep coming back to when I when I talk about Hurley. Real quick, that we should say. Yeah. In, so the Talking numbers, about the, eggs. the numbers are all over the Hurley uh, scenes. Uh, Hurley's hotel room is two three four two, which of course are uh, uh, twenty three and, and forty two. Uh, when he gets a flat tire. His car's speed drops from 42 uh, to kilometers, kilometers yeah. 16 to 15 to 8 <laughs> and to 4. It's hitting all the numbers here except 23. Uh uh-uh, uh, but that is the temperature in degrees <laughs> in Celsius on the dash. So it, it gets all the numbers. Uh, he runs past a team of soccer players with the numbers 4, 8, 15, 16, 23, 42. I think this was the only one in the episode where first time watching it, I noticed you it. Notice it, yeah. That's the only one. Uh, we already mentioned the $1,600 mm-hmm. uh, by the scooter from a man wearing a crazy 8 hat. <laughs> uh, and when he arrives at the gate for flight 8... 15, it's revealed to be gate 23. Mm-hmm. So the numbers are all over the place. Okay, now that we're 45 minutes into this episode. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I'm sorry, 
I shouldn't have taken up so much time with news and gossip. No, it's okay. <laughs> this was going to be long. Um, back on the island. Ooh, tell me about the island, Will. The others are coming. What? The episode begins, part one begins, with Rousseau making her way into the camp. And she basically says, the others are coming... There's nothing you can do about it. They're going to kill us, or you got to run and hide. Yeah. It's like, okay, crazy lady who's been in, on this island for a decade and a half. But We believe you. But there is a moment where she becomes fixated. She's looking at Clem. Mm -hmm. You can tell she's fixated on the baby. And as we know, Rousseau's baby was taken by the others. Well, it's interesting, too, because the first person that spots her is Walt. Yes, so, it, it's interesting what we find out later in the episode. You know, who she's looking for is actually the first person she encountered. And, you know, she tells her crazy French lady stories a little bit more. She talks about how her she was there with a team, and the team got infected, and Montan lost his arm, which is something we will see uh, in the final honest, season. I don't remember how he loses his arm. <laughs> well, it involves a, a certain smoke monster. Ah, uh, that makes sense. Um, <laughs> and uh, she, you know, she tells this story about how she had to deliver her own baby, and that the pillar of smoke, uh, you know, they, 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 it was like kind of alerting that the others are... Or coming and then when they she last saw that pillar of smoke, they took her her baby, her baby Alex. And sure enough, there's a pillar of smoke on the horizon. So now everybody's in a. What do we do? What are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? Because again, because of Ethan, and because you know nobody knows that Walt burned down the raft, but mostly because of Ethan, uh, they know that there are other people on this island, and it's like, well, what are we gonna do? And speaking of the raft. Jack is very, I want to work on something tangible. We got to launch the raft. We got to launch the raft today. And there are other people like, oh, what do we like, locks? So everyone's like, what do we do? Locks like, nope, raft. Um, and they, early on in the episode, they attempt to launch the raft and they run into some trouble. It's difficult because they kind of, kind of build a system. They get the raft from further up on the beach down into the water. Now, see, this is exactly the sort of thing where, first of all, I don't have the engineering know-how to build a boat or a raft in any capacity, but this is one of those things where had I been on an island and I somehow managed to make a subpar raft, I would have been like, ha-ha, the raft is done. And then the next follow-up question would have been like, well, how do we get it down to the water? And I would have been, oh. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, even their system isn't, Great. I mean, it's a lot, but it's also a nice moment. What I liked about the raft scenes in this, it's some nice moments of everyone coming together. That's, again, I've said it once and I'll say it a million more times before we get to the end of this series. That Those are my favorite moments of the series. Honestly, like, it's, it's a huge highlight in this entire three-parter. This is one of the best things about it. I would agree. I would agree. And the actual... I mean, we'll get to it in a second, but the actual launching of the raft is a very... 
It's another, if there were the two things other than, well, that's not true. There's a lot of memorable stuff in this episode because there's a great death and there's a lot of things. <laughs> you do. But, but one of the, the things from him. this episode that I have never forgotten is when the raft actually launches and the score is phenomenal and everything's score like... swells, it, everyone's waving goodbye, Vincent jumps into the water. It's so good. So, um, so people don't know what to do. They're in a panic. But, you know, there's a, there's a hatch. Yeah, it's, it's cool seeing everybody come together, but also, yeah, like, like you said with Jack, um, having something tangible to do, it helps keep everyone from panicking. Um, and yeah, that's sort of what Jack sort of maybe plans on doing, is if there's a way to get the hatch open... Maybe we can get everyone inside of it, because it might be a shelter. And they feel if they had explosives, that they could blow that top open. Because there's no latch. And then they could all hide in it. But Saeed makes some strong points. One, the fact that there's no latch to open it, like, means maybe we're not supposed to. Maybe something's in there that we shouldn't be letting out, kind of thing. Also, uh, he brings up the excellent point of... Maybe this is where the others live. Maybe this is theirs. Yeah. Like, maybe this is like part of an and, underground network and they're, they have supplies here. And Rousseau doesn't know what it is. Oh, she's like, what hatch? <laughs> but Rousseau's got a beat on where they can get some explosives. That we could go to the Black Rock in the dark territory. And we finally friggin' find out what the Black Rock is. Which we will get to in a minute. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I gotta love Hurley later on in this episode. Who renamed this place the Dark Territory? Genius! Yeah. <laughs> so, Rousseau like, knows where we can get some very unstable dynamite. And everyone's. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just filled with so much glee knowing what we're gonna talk and about. And <laughs> everyone's like very excited about this prospect. And also, everyone fucking knows about it because. When Arnt <laughs> comes up and says, I want to help. You don't know how to handle dynamite. I know what I'm doing. 100% correct. And uh, the kind of like, well, how do you know about this? And like, well, don't tell the fat guy. See, yeah. Hurley knows now about the hatch. True and, story. True and Hurley story. has clearly told everybody. It makes sense that everybody would know. Um... <laughs> you know, do you think there was at any point in this, because Arntz became such a prominent character in these last couple episodes, do you think there was any, do you think they were ever trying to misdirect us that he could be like an other or something like that? I mean, that's a that was a possibility because, you know, you get, like we were talking about with notable actors, when Ethan was there, you know, you see him pop up in a lot of places. It's it's the same with this actor. I feel like I've seen this actor pop up oh, in Daniel, so many. Daniel Robot is yeah. Him. He uh, yeah he pops up in everything. He played Jay Leno in that Late Shift movie. He's a young <laughs> actor. He was in The River's Edge, which he's great in. He, yes. Uh, he he's in a bunch of television shows. Um, so when I when I was first watching this and I saw him, I was just like. I'm like, oh, that's that guy I always see on TV. So I figured, oddly enough, 
I kind of figured he was just going to be part of, like, a regular part of the show yeah. now. Like, it was still early and enough to introduce people who had been there all along without it being weird. And Nikki and Paolo. Yeah, and, you know, and Arntz is a great character. Yeah. He's a lot of fun. Um, and he's one of the few people that can put Jack in his place, which is always so, so fun to but watch. But you know what it also is, is that Arntz is presenting Jack with science knowledge. Yeah. And Jack He's is like, a man of science. I know what I'm talking about. So they're like, we need to get behind that hatch. So the pl- so now this is where, and then we could kind of explore each of these separately. Uh, this is kind of because where this is where things branch off yeah. a little bit. Um, and, and there's actually a third branch off that we'll kind of maybe do is it because I, I feel it's kind of like a C kind of like a U. Yeah, <laughs> it makes a weird shape. But. They decide we're going to go into the the jungle and we're going to get these explosives. But we're going to go, and that means we're not going to be around when the raft probably launches. And you get a couple of great scenes here. One being the Jack Sawyer scene. Where Jack brings Sawyer a gun and gives him a gun and is basically like, you might need this. Yeah. And Sawyer who we know had figured out that the man he'd seen in the bar was Jack's father, he basically tells him a story in his very Sawyer way of a man he ran into, had a son. And it's really like, it's everything Jack needed to hear about where his father was at in terms of their relationship. That the father didn't, blamed Jack for anything, but also knew Jack blamed himself. And it, it's the it's the exact conversation Jack needs to hear. To get closure on yeah, their relationship. And to feel kind of forgiven for their their relationship. Well, and what's what's great about it is as we pointed out, you know, when we were talking about Sawyer's flashback episode where this happened, um, you know, Sawyer holds on to that information because, again, he's a con man, and he, he hangs on to that because it's like, it might be useful later. When Jack gives him the gun without, like, without asking for anything in return, it's it's a legitimate, here, you might need this, good luck. Yeah. Like, it, it's a genuine, it's a, it's a gesture free of reciprocity, which does, which Sawyer doesn't get very often. You know, he can grift people out of things. He'll wheel and deal them. Very rarely is he given something without being expected anything in return. And that's what Jack is giving to him right now. And the fact that it's a gun, too, says a lot of trust. It says a lot about where, how far they've come in the one-month time that they've been here. And so Sawyer, in a very Sawyer fashion, is like, okay, the doc gave me something without... without you know, without expecting anything in return, I'm going to give him something. I'm going to give him this one for free. Now, I'll let you choose. Okay. Do you want to go raft, or do you want to go hatch? Let's knock out the raft first. That's what I was leaning towards. (laughs) Okay, cool, 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 cool. Um, uh, There's also, leading up to the raft, we have these very nice moments um little things here one kate has of course decided to go off into the jungle because it's a very kate thing she hates goodbyes and 
you know, she's looking for Sawyer before they go. And nobody knows where Sawyer is. Mm-hmm. He's building a new mast for the raft. <laughs> Stuff broke and Sawyer was getting scolded. Yeah. <laughs> and then, rep- not reprimanded, but then like kind of like brushed aside because it's like, hey, Jin and I work better together, even though yeah. we speak two different languages. But Sawyer was, uh, you know, he was chopping down bamboo or whatever and uh, shirtless, by the way. Good times. And uh, um, let's let's drill down on this scene. Yeah. Now. How shirtless was he, Will? He was shirtless <laughs> to the point where there was no shirt. At <laughs> I guess all. that is the definition. Yes. Um. So anyway, Sawyer, you know, in there's that moment where you could see Sawyer's looking around, waiting for Kate to come say goodbye to him before they leave on the ramp. But there are a couple other buildups to the ramp. <laughs> He's like, any any minute now. Freckles, any minute now. No? Okay, okay. I'm just going to keep chopping. No, no, no. Okay. Charlie is collecting messages in a bottle. Very sweet. Which Locke is very amused by. Um, And they're, uh, uh, you know, and it is a nice idea. Good messages back. It's a nice parallel to what Claire was doing earlier in the season, wanting to memorialize people. Like, it wouldn't surprise me if it was Claire's idea and Charlie was enacting it. Um, so he's collecting messages in a bottle, take with him. Walt has a very nice scene with Shannon, because Shannon's kind of been a broken person these past few episodes. I feel like we've ignored, we completely ignored her in the last episode. Um, and so, the, like, the last time we saw her, she failed to take revenge on John Locke. And Walt can't bring Vincent on this trip. No, so you can't he's have a like, dog on a raft. It's a bad idea. No, yeah, that would not go well. And Walt uh, is like, here, Vincent took care of me when my mom died. Maybe Vincent will take care of you now that Boone's dead. And you could tell Shannon is genuinely touched by this. Mm-hmm. And she, uh, she's going to take care of Vincent. And in another world, say, in a rebooted universe uh, of this world, I feel like this would have been the turning point in Shannon's character development in terms of, like, her needing to take care of something would have made her a better person. And maybe it does in season two. I don't really remember. I just remember her dying and being upset by it. Yeah, Um, well, whose fault is it that she died? (laughs) Backwards talking Walt. (laughs) I was going to say Anna Lucia. But backwards talking Walt. (laughs) Um, oh, was it Anna Lucia that killed her? Yeah. Oh, that's... I vaguely remember that now that you've said it. Okay. <laughs> Pieces so, are starting to come together a little bit. Um, and also... Oh, we forgot to give our spoiler warning at the top. <laughs> if you don't know what this show's about already, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, and then uh, we also have a moment with Jin and Sun where... <laughs> Where Jin basically says, like, I'm being punished, Mm -hmm. and I have to get off the sun, I have to save you, I have to get off the sun, because I have to come back and save you. And I think, like, the the Jin and Sun moments in this episode helped sort of put fuel on the fire for the hell and purgatory theories. 
Like, the idea that they're all on this island because they're being punished. Well, the conversation is had then yeah. again later. Yeah. Where... Like, what he Sun, says sticks in Sun's mind. Sun and... Um, uh, Sun and Shannon are having a conversation about being punished. And Sun basically tells Shannon that's what's <laughs> happening to us. But then Claire, who... And we'll get to this later, whose baby has just been stolen basically says that, no, that's not what it is, and there's no such thing as fate in Good Scratch. Which is an interesting thing for her to say, because the whole reason she came onto this, you know, in the situation in the first place, is because she believed someone could see the future, and was, you know, warning her about her potential fate, and even before that, I think she very much sort of believed in destiny, and um, not necessarily fate, but like, you know, the higher powers of the universe, I think, was something she, she put a lot of stock in. Uh, but now that her baby has been taken for seemingly no reason or for seemingly nefarious purposes, yeah, there is... <laughs> it would be... Like, her saying there's no such thing as fate is the equivalent of someone else saying there's no such thing as God, I think. Yeah. No, I see that. So, the raft launch happened. And Michael, Sawyer, Jin, and Walt, they start to sail off on the raft. Everyone's very excited. A whole bunch of people, oh, nameless what? extras, <laughs> are standing in the water waving. Waving handkerchiefs. And, <laughs> and uh, uh, Vincent does get away from Shannon because she's terrible at taking care of a dog. <laughs> and she's really bad. <laughs> he runs out into the water, but luckily he listens to Walt and turns back. And they all <laughs> sail off to find a shipping lane and get discovered. <laughs> and in the interim, uh, you know, Saeed has given him like kind of a, a radar To turn system. on every hour. Yeah, to find out, like to see if there's anybody. And there's a flare gun with one flare, so use it wisely, oh, guys. Oh, man. That, could you imagine the pressure? You only get one shot. Yeah, and we see it. We see it with Michael. So, now we have, like, raft adventures for a little while. Sawyer, of course, is reading all the messages in the bottle. Because of course he is. Although we get a, a, a strange moment of, you know, candidness. Much like earlier in the season when Walt was sort of poking at him when he was reading, when he was, you know, reading just on his own, we get Walt poking at Sawyer again. You're like, hey, why are you reading that stuff? Yeah. It's a nice parallel. And, uh, of course, he's like, who's Hugo? And why does he have $180 million? <laughs> was, I, I might be wrong with the amount, but that's the best. That's the best. Like, just like, what? <laughs> Especially because Hurley tried. He tried to tell other people, and Charlie didn't believe him. So he's just like, I'm just going to quietly... <laughs> why is he giving it all to his mom? I think is what Sawyer said. Um... I, I love I love the little tidbit that we got though about Steve Scott. <laughs> yes, that's another great thing that I never thought would come again. When he says something about well, now Darlene I can't remember or whatever her name is. Yeah, and she's like, oh, oh, like she she misses her husband and children at home, but meanwhile, Scott's keeping her warm at night. And Walt's <laughs> like, it's Steve. Scott's dead. <laughs> 
that mixed up. In a well, lot of but you know what? But the thing is, like, this is the kind the of thing that... The joke is that they're interchangeable. In the rewatch, I am paying so much more attention to this. That's the thing, is like... Like, I don't know if that played... Like, I laughed when I saw that this time, but I don't know if that played the first time I watched this. This is one of those things where the only reason I notice it in this show is because we're doing a podcast about it. Yeah. <laughs> also, we get a moment where Sawyer, for whatever reason, is singing Redemption Song by Bob Marley, and... Uh, they're like, ah, oh, you like Bob Marley. It's like, everybody likes Bob Marley. You know who doesn't like Bob Marley? Me. <laughs> really? I find his songs uh, slow and repetitive, and uh, I can't get into them. <laughs> Ooh, hot take from Will Hot Link. take from Will Link. <laughs> not a Bob Marley fan. I mean, I'm not glad he's dead. <laughs> but, but... That went from a hot take to ice cold. Uh, no, no, no. I'm not, I'm just saying. I'm like, I don't hate him. I just, his music's not my thing. It, it's one of those things where I don't think um, my parents listened to him when I was growing up. So, like, if you ask me to name a Bob Marley song right here and now, like, gun to my head, I couldn't tell you. Well, you could, uh... Name Redemption Song. Redemption Song! Redemption Song! And that's all I got. <laughs> uh, we also kind of get a glimpse of just how fucking big this island is. Mm-hmm. Like, they're like, oh, man, this island's big. Because they're sailing, and there's, like, they're still sailing past wow. parts of the island. It looks like it's almost, like, as big as Hawaii. How what? would you ever <laughs> miss this island? How has this place not been discovered? <laughs> that seems silly. Like it fell into a pocket dimension, or like I don't know, someone made up something about time travel to hand wave away <laughs> stuff about this stupid place. Ah. So, uh, you know they've been on this raft. You know, basically just an afternoon, <laughs> evening. Like Which, it hasn't been that long. Not gonna lie, like. Even just after an afternoon, I'd start to get nervous. There like, is... Oh, God, we're on the ocean. I'd be, yeah, I'd be nervous two minutes into this thing. There is the moment where they hit a log, <laughs> and the rudder comes off, and Sawyer has to... And at that Best moment... Best part of the episode. <laughs> at that moment, it's like... What are you... What, I He's mean, got great form, though, when he dives. <laughs> oh, no, no. It's great, and Sawyer saves the day. He's like, look, I'm useful. I promise I'm useful. <laughs> but the problem is... It's like you you hit a log and your raft almost fell apart. Yeah, like it's just you're just gonna how be out in the middle of the fucking ocean are on this super thing. Super calm right now. Yeah, like you're not even like in it yet. I'm gonna say this. You know what? What happens to them probably saves their life. Probably the best case scenario. Because honestly, well, we know. Again, not to dip into stuff later on, but we know if they had kept going, they definitely would have died for more reason than one. And also, the, um, like, what are they going to find a, they got to find a shipping lane, and then, okay, so they're, they're sailing along, it's nighttime now, and they start, and Michael doesn't want to turn on the thing, and so it's like the man said every hour, and so is right. You yeah. said turn it on every hour. So Listen turn to the on, man. And Listen there's, to the communications officer. And there's a, they see a signal. They see, like, oh, there's something on the radar. And oh, then becomes man. the big debate of do we use our only 
flair to signal this thing. Oh, and man, what a tough judgment call. And everybody wants Michael to do it. Michael's the one on the fence. Even Walt's like, do it. Michael does it, and then they see the signal. It turns. It's coming towards them. They're going to be saved. And the music. This is like the first time I feel like the music has deceived me. <laughs> well, it's triumphant. Yeah, it's triumphant. And it's only until the last minute where the music changes because it's this grand moment of like, oh, we're finally being rescued. And this boat shows up and there's kind of a grizzly looking guy played by, so, oh, yeah, go ahead. Played by uh, C. Ganey. He is definitely a character actor that like pops up a lot in TV yeah. as well. Yuma, at this point, I think I knew him best as the naked guy in the movie Sideways <laughs> who chases after uh, out the house chases after Paul Giamatti um, <laughs> uh, and he, makes we, him a lot less threatening or more threatening <laughs> well also what makes him a lot less threatening is his character name although we don't get in this episode but it's Mr. Friendly <laughs> his last name is Friendly oh, he's such a dick in this show Oh, man. But he's not even... He doesn't... For some reason, I remember... He's a bad guy. Yeah, He's a bad guy, Will. Not all the others stay bad guys. Because of the show's weird way of framing them. He kidnaps a child in this episode and leaves several grown men there for dead, including the boy's father, left for dead. So they, so they pull up bad there, person. and they're like, bad guy. they're basically like, here's, like, they're, everyone's like, hey, we're saved, yay. Yay! And he's like, uh, this is a problem. <laughs> we gotta take the boy. It, it, he does, you know, a guy named Mr. Friendly, he does, like, put on a really fun exterior there for a little bit. Like, what are you guys doing so far out here? We're so glad we found you. Like, in his head, he's sitting down and, like, maniacally chuckling. He's stifling an evil laugh because he's like, oh, man, I can't wait to turn this around on these guys. He could have been like, okay, yeah, just hop onto the boat. And then, like, <laughs> and then killed them on the boat. <laughs> or, you know. Well, I, I mean, I'm about to say, like, I mean, I know they shoot Sawyer and they blow up the raft. But I don't think the initial, like, I think, like, if they could have just taken Walt, they would have just taken Walt. Or if they would have just handed Walt over. But that was never going to happen. And Walt, uh, but you're right. They could have just been like, okay, like, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll we're going to save you. We'll take you to save you. And be like, oh, pass us the boy first. And they probably would have done it. And they <laughs> Like, okay, son, you come on first. You come on first. Like, it's, it would have been that easy. But no, this guy had to twist the knife. He had to be evil. He had to be evil about it, Will. He's, he's friendly evil. <laughs> Fun evil. <laughs> so, anyway, they're like, we got to take the boy. And it's like, what? And things escalate fast. Super quick. S Sawyer's pulling the gun. They shoot Sawyer. Sawyer falls into the... the, she, uh, the and Jin dives after in him. after him. And then there's... Uh, Michael gets knocked uh, off the, the raft, raft, and then they the raft They grab Walt, they blow up the raft, and Michael is there adrift and then, at sea. And then... You know, it's, it's sad Screaming, because... Screaming, Walt! Because Jin and him had a really good beat together before this whole thing went down. You know, when Jin's giving him back 
the watch, you know, Michael makes a comment about like, hey, you got yourself, you know, when when he's going through the the notes that Sun gave him um, to help him speak English a little easier. Um, he's like, you got yourself a good woman, like, you know, good good on you, man. Um, it, it was a good way of burying the hatchet and putting to rest all the sexual tension that had been between Sun and Michael. Yeah. You know, it, it was a nice, beautiful sort of pin in that particular story thread where it's like, okay, we're going to move on. And the thing to focus on now is this friendship that's developed between him and Jin. And yeah, him and Sun as well. Um, you know, it's a mutual respect sort of thing. Uh, and it's so sad to get that wonderful moment of like poignant, awesome, satisfying story development. And then we get this what? Because that's all Michael is going to be for the rest of the show. Yeah. Well, um, it's season four. He's got some. That's all he's going to be, did. man. But for season two, that's definitely all he's going to be. Yelling Walt. Wow. Walt. Which now all I can think of when I think of like kids' names being yelled is the Walking Dead. Carl. 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 Walt. Walt. I will say that um, you know again to the defense of this show for their decision to send Walt off in this way. Even in this episode, Walt the ac- the actor who played Walt was looking a lot older than he was. Right. He looks. He, he big shot up like a beanpole. <laughs> Yeah, they 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 should have picked like a like a fucking like <laughs> Webster kid, you know, who never grows up. <laughs> I will say though, and this is fine. What they do here is totally fine. It's a great cliffhanger for the season finale. Uh, it's what they end up doing with it later. Like I like I said, all all Michael but, is is Walt, and then Walt is sir not appearing in this series anymore. <laughs> but it's not even the main cliffhanger. No. Because now we should get to what I think in the writer's room was probably considered the A story. <laughs> probably. Oh my God, where are we at? You don't want to know. Oh my God, we've been talking for so long. We mean, next time there's three, next time there's a, sen- if when there's essentially a three-parter, maybe we will reevaluate. We'll break it down a little bit. Um, although I feel like the next time there's that might be the final episode of the series so obviously <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna need to set aside like five hours it's gonna be a five-part episode <laughs> so yeah it is and i'm gonna put it all on, on my notes on all on one page oh my god um so <laughs> they're all gonna say bad 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 all they're work all gonna and no say play. like the his thing for the finale of the show i won't be able to read my notes because my paper will be filled with <laughs> tears, tears with tears of how beautiful a finale it is. <laughs> okay. You know what? We'll get there when we get there. <laughs> so. <laughs> We're currently on the raft right now in the ocean on our way. We'll get there in several years, yes. So, Kate, Jack, Locke, Hurley, Arntz, and Rousseau are all trekking through the jungle. By the way, at what point did Hurley become part of this... Because Rousseau was there and Arntz was there, like I feel like Hurley wanted to also contribute. Okay, fair enough. Uh, that's that's my best bet. That's my best bet. So they're trekking through the jungle and they're getting into the dark territory. <laughs> and 
Arndt suddenly is having a bit of a, a change of thought here, and he's like, hey, you know, this is kind of scary. Well, because he hears about a guy getting infected and then losing an arm, and he's like, oh, like, I didn't realize that we were dealing with some sort of flesh-eating bacteria or, or some horribly communicable disease. So Arndt decides to head back. But that doesn't last long because a little while later he comes running through the jungle screaming that he's being chased by the monster and everybody kind of runs off. Everybody except Locke who kind of holds Hurley there and like he's like, oh, it's going the other way. But Jack, Kate, and Rousseau all hide in some trees and they kind of ask Rousseau, like, what is this thing? It's a security system. Like basically, Which is an interesting way of referring to, and, and and not that, not wholly inaccurate. Not, yeah, I was about to say, purposely misleading. Um, it, she's like it protects the island. Which it's interesting that she refers to it as a security system because I don't know by any chance did you happen to um have headphones on <clears throat> when you watched this episode? No, I've got to tell you, and I I I brought it up. When we went for Boone's episode, when he had that weird uh, vision quest thing, uh, yeah. where you didn't see the smoke monster. It wasn't even really the smoke monster, but you didn't see the smoke monster, but you heard it. And I made a, a couple comments about the metallic sounds of the sound design. And I gotta tell you, dude, having headphones on during the sequences with the monster is kind of a trip. Because, like... <clears throat> How would you describe the sounds of the smoke monster? So just like, having listened to it just on TV. I mean, it's kind of like, they're kind of like, like clicks or things breaking, kind of like, uh, I, 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 since the metallic or even like wood breaking, like, <laughs> yeah. like that. <laughs> Spot on. Um, <laughs> uh, what... What kept running across my mind is, like, I kept thinking that this was would be sound design I would hear in a Transformers movie, but, like, not like the good Bumblebee one, but it, it was also not quite Transformers-esque. Um, but it, it was so interesting to hear Rousseau refer to it as a security system and then hear these metallic sounds again because I was, like, I like, leaning into it, I was, like, were they trying to make us think that the monster was actually a robot because what the monster ends up being doesn't match the sounds that I'm hearing. No. No. Like, it's certainly inhuman, but, like, it goes back and forth between sounding organic, like some sort of giant monster, and sounding like some sort of machine. I always wondered how much of that noise is, like, just the rustling and breaking of things in the jungle, in the, in the and how much of it is the it. actual noise it makes. But because it, it definitely makes it a, a noise itself. Yeah, like, I would love to talk to a sound designer on this series and be like, okay, what what did the directors and producers tell you? Like, what does it say in the script? What does this creature sound like? And how did you go about making the foley for that? Like, that would be a really cool discussion. So. They all reunite, and Rousseau leads them to the Black Rock, which we discover is a slave ship. Mm-hmm. But not just a slave ship. It's a slave ship that somehow has landed in the center of the island. Which I think is 
to to indicate that like obviously this has been here for a long long time and the shape of the island was very different then like i think you can sort of assume that like the sea came up further than like it used to be because this was probably a sunken ship at some point right no, I mean, how, I how long ago do you know, think this man. was? <laughs> I don't how know. How long ago do you think this ship sailed? No, it's like, it's, we see how it lands there how, later in the season do we? series. Is it just like up on the shore? Uh, you know, it's just like... A, Does the smoke monster like pick it up from from the, the shore and like drop it in the middle of the Okay, island? maybe we don't see how it gets there, <laughs> but we, we do experience time on the Black Rock and when it lands in there and there is a storm... But I imagine the smoke monster, because Richard was on the Black Rock. Mm-hmm. Richard, another character that we haven't met yet. <laughs> Doesn't exist yet. Yes. And I still feel like, I don't think we're going to meet Richard for a while still. Probably not till yeah, season four would be my guess, right? Season five, maybe? Season three. Really? That soon? Yeah. Huh. Weird. Okay. Cool. I don't know. I'm not, I don't know. I don't I, quite I don't know. <laughs> but I would guess... Three. That's a good we'll guess. Find we'll get there when we get there. Now watch, he's in the season premiere. Of season <laughs> we meet him with Desmond. He's in the hatch yeah. with Desmond. Oh, he was. <laughs> he was there remember, the whole time. I remember him being there, but I guess I'll go with it. Um. So Rousseau at this point is like, I'm out of here. I mm-hmm. brought you to it. Yarn My in. work here is done. Bye. And Locke's like, ah, I could lead us back, which I have full faith that Locke can. Between him and Detective Kate, yeah, they can make their way back. So Kate, Locke, and Jack go into the Black Rock, and Arnst and and Hurley stay outside, which produces a great meta little scene where Arnst is basically complaining. <laughs> about how clicky all the other people are and how, you know, there are like 40 other survivors on this island. We're not the only ones here, guys. And, we have lives outside of you. And uh, he he points out, like, you know, like, oh, who gets the best shelters? Who gets the best... Like, the stars of the show, basically. It's and a, it's, it's a, a fun moment, but it's also a real moment. And when you said about how Arntz could have been, like, a regular new character, like... A scene like this is the kind of thing that kind of sells that idea. Yeah, here's the thing. This works for Arnst, not only because of the type of character that he's been presented as, and the fact that they established him earlier without making all of this meta-commentary. Like, it works with him because of the way it's presented, and because no other characters have presented this before. It doesn't work later on down the line because it's already been presented yeah. to us like this, and the person who presented it immediately died. Like, yeah. So like, when we hear it again, we're like, well, why should we care about these people? When we hear it again, when Nikki and Paolo get introduced, we're like, why should we care about these people? They're probably gonna die. And then nothing about their personalities, their storylines, make us care about them. <laughs> they do introduce... Um, some characters again, uh, besides Nikki and Paolo, they do introduce some characters. And they have a tendency to all die the second yeah, they, they start like, complaining about they, how not everything's about you, Jack. Yeah. Not everything's about you, Locke. There's, uh, it's special, well, you know what, in season five, 
at the beginning of season five, they, they were like, we're just going to, this. it was a reaping of like extras because they're like, oh yeah, there's still a lot of people on this island. We need to get rid of them. Which, yeah, literally a guy is mid-sentence complaining about this very thing when he gets hit in the chest with a flaming arrow. Yeah. And it's such an insult, <laughs> in all honesty. But here, again, here it plays off as very natural and very charming and is a very funny, witty, meta moment. So, Arntz is there and he sees they come out with the dynamite and he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> So like, hold on, guys. Like, careful with this. Like, put it down, put it down. He's like, dynamite in, like, 90-plus degree temperatures it is going to sweat. It sweats nitroglycerin. Do you know what happened to the guy who discovered nitroglycerin? <laughs> and he tells the story of the guy who... Which, th that was one of the great things about Arts as a character, too, is because he was a teacher, he had a great way of being able to tell a story and to, and to impart knowledge onto the characters and the audience without it seeming forced or monologue-y. Like, like, that was the brilliance of using him as a character. And, you know, Arntz is like, here's what you gotta do, you gotta do, and we gotta, like, wet some, like, a G.S. Oh, cape Kate for a shirt. shirt. <laughs> and he wets the shirt and he wraps up the dynamite and then he's explaining it and he kind of gestures a bit much with the dynamite. That's and the bad thing about being a teacher, you talk with your hands. And boom! <laughs> Arts explodes spectacularly. Best death in the whole series. It's amazing. Oh, yeah. oh it is. And, it's the mo and honestly, it's one of the reasons why Arntz is such a memorable character. Let's face it. Like, he was... He was, he was great in a little bit he was, but the reason we remember him is because he dies so spectacularly. I will say, like, I, I love this. I loved it then and I love it now. Like, I loved it then because it shocked me. Like, it genuinely surprised me. Yeah. I love it now because it's hilarious. Um, and also, you know, it is a good subversion of what we're expecting. Um, it's a good way to keep the audience off, off balance. And also... I, I will be honest, between the smoke monster and Arts' death in this episode, I will be honest, I remember the effects looking a lot better in 2005. I do too. Yeah. I remember the Arts thing looking a little differently. Looking way more believable. Now it looks kind of silly. <laughs> now it looks like some after effects but, in Adobe. But that's just because we yeah. know better effects. Now. Yeah, we like, do. At that's, the time, it probably did look right. That's not a knock on, you know, the show, like, yeah, at the, at the time it came out, it looked fine. Same with the smoke monster, it looked fine. It's just the passage of time, those particular effects have not aged well. Um. <laughs> it's a funny, funny gif. <laughs> so, he's blowed up. And then, no one cares. Like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, Hurley's like, it's messed up. That's, that's the only real downside about his send-off is apart from a few hmm. lines, no one cares. Here's the thing. That's because Arnst was right about these people. Yeah. They are like the popular kids in the island. And they don't give a shit. Um, anyway, they start to slowly, like, wrap up the dynamite and stuff like that. And Hurley, well, Jack in, in Locker doing this, Hurley's kind of talking to the Kate and he's like he's like I'm bad luck 
like he like this no. happened because of me. I'm I'm bad luck. Um, so they got the dynamite, and Locke is making a lot of like logical things of like what well, we should. We should each take three, and you know, not no one single person should have just in case they blow up, and we need the dynamite. And Jack's like, yeah, that makes sense. He's like, and Kate's like, I'll carry it. And Jack's like, no, you won't. And Kate's like, I can carry it. I'm here too. Like, let me do this. This is exactly what I'm talking about. So Locke is like, is it Locke who suggests his drawing straws? Yes. Because they start bickering, and Locke's like, we're not getting anywhere with this. Um, so he suggests, yeah, drawing lots to decide who's... He's like, we don't have time for everybody to argue who's going to risk their lives. Because yeah. that's, that's just going to be an argument that goes in circles. Especially it, with Jack. And it makes sense, and it's fair. Yeah. So they draw straws. It's, it's an oddly logical choice from the man of faith. And Locke and Kate draw the short straws. So they're going to carry the dynamite. Except they're not. So now we have a whole sequence of them trudging back through the jungle. I will say, though, that what transpires uh, is completely preposterous when we were shown just how delicate the nitroglycerin-soaked dynamite actually is. Yeah. Um, Well, maybe Arch just got a bad He got a bad batch. He got a bad batch. (laughs) Because um, I'd the imagine the, the dynamite was dry as a bone. <laughs> so they're walking. There's this nice little conversation where Hurley asks uh, Locke, "What do you think's in the hatch?" And he goes, "What do you think's in that?" And Hurley's talking about like Twinkies and all this fun food and beans. stuff like that. Four billion beans is what it is. <laughs> you know, Hurley's not far off from what it actually is in the hatch, which which is funny, but. Um, and Locke basically kind of coiling his Locke voice as hope. Now, it's hard to remember what I thought might have been in that hatch back in... Like, I can't remember what I thought was in that hatch. I know I didn't think it was Desmond. I definitely didn't think it was Desmond. But do you remember what you thought was in the hatch back then? I think... You know, in, in all honesty, I think I was just sort of, like, watching to be like, oh, what's in it? Yeah. But if I, if somebody had asked me at the time what I thought was in it, my answer probably would have been another monster. Yeah, like another smoke monster yeah. or the others, you know, those are the uh, logical things. tunnel to a hidden location on the island, like elsewhere on the island, um... I mean, a science lab also would have been kind of a logical. I'm trying to think of what, like, high school Megan would have. Or like, all about. these people are there in an experiment, <laughs> and the people who are watching them are down there. The uh, that definitely would have been a good theory. My, but yeah, my my gut is telling me that my guess would have been another monster. So speaking of the monster, suddenly they see. The smoke monster. And, and this is a, when we finally find out it's a smoke monster. Yeah, actually, it's the first we've time. Been, we've been calling it a smoke monster, but this is the first time we see the smoke. And then, you know, Locke, who once looked into the eye of the island, once looked into this. Like, there, everyone's running. He's looking into it again. But Locke is standing his ground. But it's great because all of a sudden you could tell, like, something changes in his face. Like, yeah. he's suddenly scared. Like, uh-oh. Like, Shoot. it's not doing what he thought it would do. And it grabs him. And it's dragging him, and it drags him into, like, a hole. 
I'm just going to pull him down. But he's like holding on there and Jack grabs him. Now, I do want to ask, because he starts saying, let me go. Like, because when we find out that like, Jack, you know, Kate doesn't have the dynamite, it's actually in Jack's pack and she has to run back and go get it. Locke starts yelling at him, Jack, let me go. Like, I'll be fine. Let me go. And at first, you think like, oh, maybe he's just saying that so that Jack doesn't get dragged along with him. But no, he genuinely believes that yeah. everything will be all right. So, this is all part of the plan. The cult of Locke. He's, yeah, I think he's scared, but then he, in his Locke way, is like, don't be scared. The island has a plan for me. And I'll just have to give in to that. I do want to ask you, if Jack had lost his grip, or if Jack had somehow let him go, would this have been the end of John Locke? And then, like, the, the man in black would have killed him, and then, although that doesn't make any sense with what we know about him later, but, like, would the man of black have found a way to kill Locke so that he, he could then wear Locke's face and masquerade as him on the island for the rest of the series? Well, I wonder if part of this was still kind of Locke being tested. Like, like that if the, the it, man in black seeing what he's made of. Yeah, and the fact that he survives it probably made it more like, oh, this is the guy. Okay, 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 yeah. I see. That's I see. what I think, but uh, so I think that Locke probably would have been gone forever had he gotten pulled down. Probably. He probably would have been like Mr. Echo, just like another one bites yeah, the dust. because he, like, he didn't quite pass the test. He probably would have been confronted with whatever main demon or main regret he, you know, I, I'm thinking ahead to, like, Mr. Echo. He probably would have been met with whatever main demon he's still battling and then would have been killed. Like, that is my guess. Um... So Jack doesn't let him go. Nope. And he's got the idea, I'm going to throw dynamite down there, and that'll somehow free... <laughs> that'll, that'll kill it. <laughs> and he says, and he's, and, and he's like, no, Kate, like, dynamite's in, my, in pack. my pack. He had... The look had she gives yeah. him is friggin' priceless. I hate this. I hate this so much. Because it's such a Jack thing to do, but like... It's like he knows better. I don't think I would hate this as much, again, without the knowledge that she was always meant to be the main character. Like, it's bad enough that they keep robbing agency away from each other. Because, you know, we, we had that episode where, you know, she drugged him to get him to finally stop and do what she wanted. Um, but he's also, yeah, he's like, hey, you know, if you're going to treat me like the leader of the island, then everybody do as I say. Um, you know, I mean, it's, there's, there's part of a point there that... He, that he is right. They don't. They want him to be the leader until he makes a decision they don't like. However, this was not a decision. This is a different no. kind of decision. And and he has no right. He, he's absolutely. She's absolutely right. He has no right to take that choice away from her. And by the way, from a pragmatic point of view. Jack is more necessary to the island than Kate. Yeah. Like Kate should be caring because. Jack is the only doctor. He is very yeah. valuable. If they already lost their other man of science. <laughs> they already lost their other man of science. If they lose their doctor, that's borderline endgame. You better hope no one else ever gets hurt again. Well, speaking of a man of science, this kind of, once once they get Locke out of that hole, they're marching on towards the hatch. 
and Jack and Locke have their man of science, man of fate conversation. And this is this is where they're finally uh, sort of officially pitted as antagonists. And this for is one another. this is where Locke is like the island brought us here for a reason. It's destiny. Boone was a sacrifice the island demanded. Which is crazy talk. That's crazy talk. It's crazy talk, except for the fact that it's kind of true. Is it, though? I mean, there is a design that's in play here. A bad one. Jacob's a bad designer. <laughs> well, I mean, but also some of that design is the, the man in black. And yeah. some of it designs Jacob. Uh -huh. But Locke also says something that turns out to be true, because... Jack's like, I don't believe in destiny. And he's like, yes, you do. You don't know it. Ugh, you but, just don't know it yet. Oh, my God. But he's right. Which is what the bad guy usually says. But it's <laughs> what, but Locke, but, but see, that that's the thing. And this is where I'm, okay, look, it, like it's clear that. villain, though. That, I'm right. You just don't know it yet. But, like, it's great. It's, it's great. It's true, though, because Jack's the one who's going to start screaming, we have to go back. We have to go back. And also, <laughs> the other thing is, Locke, uh, you know, Locke is right in the sense that, and this is what always drove me crazy about Jack. Mm -hmm. Jack is not willing to believe his eyes. He's not willing to believe, like, there is crazy shit happening here. So here's the thing. They how saw a literal smoke monster! But how much <laughs> crazier is what Locke's saying? Y y you know what I mean? Yeah. Like Locke's, Locke's not crazy for thinking there's some kind of destiny then because he is seeing things with his own eyes. Um, I, and you know, to, to be fair, so is Jack, but Jack has like, you know, chopped that up to dehydration, dehydrated hallucinations. I, I, I do want to point out, Boone was a sacrifice. Arts was not. <laughs> yeah. No one, no one brings up the guy that literally just died like ten minutes ago. <laughs> um, for for me though, that's where John Locke crossed the line. It's like no. With Boone. Yeah, with Boone. It's like yeah. no. This was your fault. Well, and I think Locke, he's trying to. I mean, he's up. He's Locke is clearly bothered by this, and I think he's also trying to justify yeah. it. That, that, to me, though, is where he, he goes from being a man with a point to being in the wrong. It's like, you got an innocent person, you dragged an innocent person into this, and you got him killed. But he's also... He's right, in terms of there's some weird, wacky shit going on on this island, but as we keep reiterating time and time again, he's misguided, and he doesn't understand how badly he's being manipulated. So, they get the dynamite to the hatch, they're putting the dynamite on the hatch... Jack and Kate go like some distance away with the fuse, and they and Jack tell Kate's giving him shit about the yeah because he pack. keeps usurping <laughs> he keeps usurping her protagonist stand, standing. But it's not fair. Jack undercuts that conversation too by saying she's like we need to have a talk about you being yes. the main character of this show, and he's, he's like a, not now, <laughs> not now. We're gonna have a lock problem. If we survive this, we're gonna have a lock problem. Which is true. He's already like it's already being set up. Like they they've been laying the groundwork for this all season, but it's being set up as this war of ideology. Yes. Which and, which is and, what I love about the show. 
I love that the, they it, have this. It can be a good thing. It can be a good thing. I say execution is everything, and I certainly think it's an interesting idea. Time I, will tell if I feel better I think, about it later. I think Jack was willfully ignorant to too much shit that was happening on the island. Like, But, again, you, you have to give him credit. Again, I, I keep falling back on Locke being like, Boone was a sacrifice for the island. And it's like, well, okay, who does, who does the island want next? Like, I, I Jack is the doctor. I mean, trying also, to keep everyone alive. Also, in fairness, Locke had an actual vision yes. that makes well, it seem like the island was... Like, Locke's not just pulling this stuff out no, of his ass. Like, Locke, Locke, Locke had Locke a... can walk again! <laughs> Locke can walk again, but, I mean, he had a vision of, like, the boom, like, blah, 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 falls up the stairs, falls down the stairs, or whatever. And, and... He didn't realize it was a premonition of what was going to happen. Eventually. Yes, and it, but it is the thing that led him to the blank. And there's a bloody boom in that, and so Locke kind of had a premonition of Boone's death that the island gave him. So obviously he believes it's a sacrifice the island wanted to make. The island basically told him that. Like I'm, not, like the the thing is, like Locke saying that to Jack sounds crazy, but he's. It only sounds crazy because we don't live in a world where shit like this happens. In on the island, shit like this happens, and Locke See, is the only one in tune to it. If if you believe that the island is good, though, like I would think that that would be the island being like, "Hey, prevent this! Hey, prevent this! Oh, I don't you don't need this!" But I don't believe the island's good, and I don't know if so John we Locke all does. Agree that the island is bad. No, I don't. <laughs> I don't believe the island is bad either. I believe the island is made up of multitudes. I think everything that is good and evil, everything that is light and dark in the universe, comes from this island. That the center of this island is everything. Sounds like an important island that would stay in one pa- place, theoretically. Yeah, it's got to move, move around so people can't find it. Only if it was a giant turtle. <laughs> That's the only way I would accept it. Um, so they're getting ready to blow the hatch, and Hurley notices something. <gasps> this is a moment from uh, that I distinctly remember from yeah. way back when. I actually, honestly, I remembered almost everything about this episode. This was an episode that... All three hours of that really stood out in my head. Like, it made an impression on me. Um, a lot of it was very memorable, but, but this was definitely a moment yeah. I, I distinctly remember. Is Hurley sees his numbers, bolting. and he's running to try to stop the, the, the fuse from going off, but oh. Locke lights it anyway, and... <laughs> Kind he's a of selfish person. Kind of at the last minute, like Jack gets Hurley down, and there's an explosion because Hurley knows we shouldn't open that hatch because I know the numbers. The numbers are no good. The numbers are unlucky. And boom, the hatch opens up, and the final shot of the episode. Although not the last thing we're going to talk about, <laughs> but the final shot of the episode. Is one that stayed with me all fucking summer long. Yeah! And it's, they look down into the hatch, and there's this shot going down into the hatches as our, our characters are looking down into it. And that was one. And it was, it, it's a very, it's a great cliffhanger. Yeah. It's a great cliffhanger. I remember being driven crazy and by it, though. It, yeah, it, it definitely drove me crazy, too. Uh, but in, like, a good way. Yeah. Where you're like, oh, man, I can't wait. And to the show's credit, what they choose to do with the beginning of season two is a great payoff. 
it, it is a wonderful parallel to this final shot, and it's a good, good payoff for that summer weight. Yes, I would agree with that wholeheartedly, and we'll get into it. And I'll get into maybe some of my feelings on that when we get there. next time. Yeah. Which will be the next episode. Thank God we don't have to wait three months. <laughs> Could you imagine? Okay. Considering how much we've had to unpack, I actually think we're doing good on time, but we're not done yet. But I'm going to kind of zip through this one a That's little okay. bit more. I mean, like, we've only got a little bit more to cover, I think. Yeah. So, you know, Saeed's trying to move people to the caves, and he's being sweet with Shannon again, like, I'll help you carry I, Boone's I really clothes. Liked, I really liked this. Because he's like, you, why are you bringing your brother's stuff? Um, and she's like, I... It, kudos to the performance again, um, because she's like, I need it. I can't not have it with me. Yeah. And it's this, it's this breakdown that we didn't actually see when, you know, Boone was being buried. You know, we saw her cry when he died. Um, but like, it's this full on breakdown. Like this is the moment where it finally happens for yeah. her. And it's, it's very well acted and it's a, and it, you know, she's literally carrying baggage. <laughs> she's yeah. literally carrying baggage. And I've always, you know, how I met your mother used this uh, same metaphor when um, Ted was getting over a breakup. Um, you know, somebody's there to help lighten the load. And that was, that's exactly what Saeed was trying Saeed to do. Saeed lightens the load. Too. Um, which is, again, a nice inverse of what we saw at the airport because she abandoned his baggage. And he's here. <laughs> so yes. So we, ha we have our answer as to why that whole thing played out the way it did. Is because it's an inverse to this moment. So while Saeed's doing this, like, you know, Charlie's helping Claire, who's freaking out. Claire's having a lot of... She's having kind, of kind of a worried breakdown about... And Charlie wants a gun to protect her. And they're like, no, we're not giving you a fucking We're not gun. giving you a gun, Charlie. That's Last ridiculous. Last time we gave you a gun, you shot someone. <laughs> you killed a dude who had valuable information for us. And he's like, I'd do it again, too. <laughs> and Rousseau comes back to the beach. <sighs> and she's looking at that baby. Oh, my gosh. She like, wants that baby. This was... <laughs> did you just say baby like Helena? Yeah. From, uh, like from Helena Mormon from Black? Black. <laughs> She wants the baby. <laughs> Beautiful baby. Um, <laughs> this was such an uncomfortable thing because just like when she had Saeed and was torturing him, like, you get the humanity of it, the longing of it, the, the desperation of it, but at the same time, she's not one to be trusted. And then you see the scratches. You see the scratches. Yes. And there was a call to it earlier where Locke was asking about the scratches on her arm, and she was like, oh, it's a bush, it's a mean bush. Or Very whatever. mean bush. <laughs> um, and then Claire remembers, oh, this is who attacked me. Which, you know, it makes me wonder how much of the, the night terrors were caused by Ethan, and how many were caused by Rousseau. So, Rousseau steals the baby, who then Claire... Now that the baby's gone, decides to give a name, Aaron. So Rousseau steals Aaron, and Charlie and Saeed set off, because Saeed, Saeed figures it out, that the others took her baby, and she wants to make a trade. So Saeed and Charlie traipse off into the jungle after Rousseau. Charlie stupidly falls for an obvious booby trap. 
Um, cuts open his head. Saeed uses gunpowder to heal it, to cauterize oh. it. Yeah. Oh, wait. Yeah. I'm like, that doesn't create, like, a wicked scar for him for the rest of the series, right? You know, and I kept thinking that we have to pay attention to his forehead. <laughs> well, we'll start paying, we'll, we'll take, uh, we'll take a gander at season two, because he definitely has the wound at the end of the episode. We'll, we'll have to take a look at the beginning of season two to see if it's still there. <laughs> and I mean, look, really, there's the, I don't think there's that much analysis to do here. They get to the beach where there's the plume of smoke, because that's where the others would be, and and it turns and, out. And they hear a baby crying, and Rousseau's there. And uh, and that's when, you know, they get the baby back. And that's when Charlie accuses her of, like, just creating this whole scenario so that she could steal the baby and keep it for herself. And that's what she's like, no, no, like, I thought, I legitimately thought, like, if I gave them, I heard because them whispering she that heard they the wanted. whispers that they the want. The whispers, by the way, which we know aren't actually the others at this point. No, but, but they know the thing that can hurt you. Yeah, as, and as we've as we've deduced, and they're whispering about how the others want the the child, but really, they talk about Walt. Which again, it's interesting that that was the first person that Rousseau came across in camp. And she walked right by him. She just assumed it was a baby because they took her baby. Yeah. Her baby Alex. Um, and who, she, yeah. uh, doing all right for herself on the island. <laughs> for now. <laughs> for now. Yeah. Um, she won't be for long. No, but, no. You know, she's got a plum position. She's the daughter of the head of the others, basically. <laughs> but, like, it, it's a, such a tragic scene where, you, again, you, you feel the heartbreak and the desperation, and she just... She just wants her baby back. And Charlie does not cut her any slack. No. He calls her pathetic. Well, because, yeah, again, a nice nice callback. But at the same time, um, you understand, you know, she has nothing. She has nothing. But, like, there's also this guilt and realization because, like, she's become the thing that ruined her life. Someone stealing her baby ruined her life. And coming to this island earlier in her life, but like really more the stealing, the baby stealing, um, and she's just done that to someone else. Um, two more things I want to bring up before we wrap this up. Heroin. Exactly. <laughs> and so matter of factly, like say it's like, oh, here's the plane. Oh, and here's heroin, and it's like it's oh. such like he says it's so matter of factly, but we know how much that means to Charlie. And that's going to come into play. And so it's interesting that he calls her so pathetic when he, in fact, is again hiding heroin in his, in his bag. And one important thing I forgot to bring up during the trek out of dark territory. At one point, giant bird scares them. Oh, that's right. And they're like, uh, Bird! That, but that bird... Comes back. That bird comes back. That's the Hurley bird. Now, I wonder... I have to wonder if that's not a reference to... Like, because a lot of this show is Stephen King-inspired. Um, did you ever read the original novel for It? Yes. Um, for anybody who hasn't read the original novel, it isn't just Pennywise the Dancing Clown. He actually appears as that very rarely in the book. Um, he just keeps changing form, and to one of the kids, he appears as a big bird. Um, or not to one of the kids, but one of the um, one of the parents of the kids. He appears as like a big bird, like in a flashback sequence. Well, this bird 
when it flies over, everybody's always kind of said that it sounds like it's saying, It's the hurly bird. It's the hurly bird. Now this and bird is the word. This bird will come back again. And I think Hurley even will say, like, did that bird say, my, say name? my name? Yeah. I'm gonna have to oh. But this exactly. bird I, You know this, you know how a couple episodes ago I was making a big deal about having watched episodes with closed captioning on? I should have put this, that on just for the Hurley this, bird. Yeah, this was one this was one of the few moments where I was looking away from the screen and so I wasn't looking at the captions. <laughs> I'm gonna have to go back. <laughs> oh, that's the best. That's the best thing I've ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> so, does the Hurley Bird come into play? I don't know. Nah. But Megan, I think we have to wrap this up. Um, the We're only closing thing, in on two hours. Uh, I, I want to bring up though. Um, uh, son, at one point, trying to comfort uh, Claire, goes, "Aaron, that's a that's a lovely name. What does it mean?" And Claire goes, I don't know what it means. It was just, it's just the baby's name. Um, Aaron, you know, it's got a Hebrew meaning. You know, obviously there's the biblical Aaron, who is the brother of Abraham. Um, but there's also, the meaning of the name Aaron is lofty, exalted, high mountain. So, yeah. lofty and exalted on an island where people, many people, have delusions of grandeur. I was about to say the line from Pulp Fiction when the woman asks... Him, uh, Bruce Willis, what is his name? Butch, what does Butch mean? And he goes, I'm American. Our names don't mean shit. <laughs> but Claire's not even American, no, so that doesn't, doesn't work. doesn't work. Okay. Um, what kind of citizenship does Aaron have on the island? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. I guess he's an Aussie citizen. I guess so, yeah. <laughs> um, so. Um, what is your man in black? What is your dark side of the um, island. Uh, you know, this again, is a tough one. Most, most of the stuff I have to complain about you know, is larger narrative stuff as it shakes out later. If I were to pick one narrative man in black, it would be Jack usurping Kate. There's, it's demeaning at this point. Uh, it goes from being frustrating to straight up demeaning. However, I have a different man in black. Oh. And that is... <sighs> the effects don't hold up. They really, like, it's not the fault of the show. Well, I'll tell you what. But the, the effects don't hold up. You know what effect does not hold up? What? <laughs> that bird does not look good. That bird is not the word. That bird looks terrible. <laughs> so that's, it, like, in a really well-written, well-directed episode, those dated effects really bring it down. And, and the, again, that's not anyone's fault. It's just the progression of time. Um, I'm just, for lack of anything else, um, I'm gonna say I think it's a little shitty that Claire is the only one that doesn't get a backstory in the, in the airport, uh, run. She, I mean, she gets a beat, but she doesn't get her own flashback. No, what the heck? And there would have been a way to give her one, and I, I wouldn't be shocked if there's one on the cutting room floor. That would make a lot of sense if... I don't know if you have any deleted scenes on your DVDs. You know what? I should look at that. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll bring it up next time if, if they exist. Um, but yeah, that because that, I feel like, is a scene that should have been in this episode, too. And what's your... Jacob, what's your light side of the island? There's, there's a lot. There's so many good things. 
in this. Um, I'm probably going to have to go with the best thing being everybody coming together to launch the raft. Like, that was so... that That is always the, the most compelling part of Lost, is everybody coming together. But... I think I know what yours is going to be, so I'll hold off on saying that. But I'll also give it to Arts' death scene, because I think that's a highlight of the series, for sure. I, um... I was torn between two, but since you said one of them, I'll go with the other one, which is Hurley's run to the airport. Oh, really? Yeah, what'd you think? Uh, I, I totally thought you were going to be this. You were going to pick the cementing of Jack versus Locke. Oh, that should be it. I was, but I was. Well, I, went I, more I sort fun. of picked two. You could pick two. I, I would do that. The other one because I was my two would have been the raft or the because. Those are just sequences that I've always remembered all the beats of. Like, I've always remembered the score with the Reverend. I've always remembered all those beats with Hurley running the airport. That it just being in just such a joy. In And the other thing I like about that Hurley run to the airport is... It's so good. And it's long. Yeah, like it's they're extended. Not, it's really long. And... I think it's a big chance to take an episode of, like, there's a lot of heavy stuff going on, but we're going to give you this long, I don't want to say drawn out because that but sounds negative, but this long, drawn out, comedic kind of sequence. And it's, and it's multiple locations. Like, that doesn't, that's, yeah. that doesn't take, like, a short amount of time to no, film. No, that had to be a pain in the ass to film, but I think it works for the character, and I think the episode needed that joy in it. I think so too. Uh, so I, I concur with you. That was it was excellent. It's a great it's a great season finale. Like it's it it's really is. honestly and like you said, the cliffhanger is a proper cliffhanger. It's the way it's supposed to be. And I cannot wait now to get into season two, where I think what the listeners have probably been waiting for all along is where we're gonna start to diverge more and more, you and I. Uh you know what I I I feel like Season two is gonna like it's gonna keep me up until up until the latter half, um, when we really get to meet the others proper. Like then I'm gonna be like I'm gonna throw up my hands and be like, well, the rest of the show's a lost cause. But I I I have a lot of fond memories of season two as well. It gets it gives me one of my favorite characters in the form of Mister Echo. We get a lot of really good compelling stuff. We get some really touching reunion scenes. Um, we get a lot of good, there's a lot of good stuff in season two. Um, so maybe we won't diverge as much as we think. Well, I also have the theory that you're going to like the show a lot more than you used to when we're done with this. Maybe. There are a lot of things I like <laughs> a lot more, at, you know, at 30 than I did at 15. Um, and there are things that, like, at 15 I love that at 30 that I'm like, no, that's garbage. Um, I still like it, but it's garbage. I can recognize it as garbage instead of brilliance. And everything I've ever liked is perfect. <laughs> Megan. Perfect good forever. Uh, the only thing I do want to say, I know, I know we gotta go, but like I've finally decided what I want for the reboot. If we get a reboot of this show, um, it's a reboot. It's an alternate universe caused by the actual time thing later on. We get a real AU. And in that AU, Kate is the main character. And not only that, she is an island detective, if you will. And instead of being... The show that we get where it progressively goes into, like, time. It's more of a Buffy show where she's a detective on this supernatural island and every episode is kind of a creature of the week. I would watch the shit out of Detective Kate Supernatural Island Edition. That would be so great. That's what I want the Lost Reboot to be. 
<laughs> so Megan, where can the people where can the people find You're you? You're like, okay, enough of that nonsense. <laughs> I'm not even going to engage with how bonkers that is. Uh, but you guys, if you guys want to pitch me your different <laughs> creature of the week episodes for Detective Kate on the Magic Island, uh, go ahead and tweet at me or send me a message on Instagram at the Menguin. That's T-H-E-M-E-N-G-U-I-N. You should write a series of books. <laughs> like, kind of like Nancy Drew type books, except it's... Detective Detective Kate, Kate on the Magic, on the Magic Island. <laughs> and each week it'll be like, hmm, I wonder who <laughs> ate the last bag of peanuts from the plane. Detective Kate's going to figure out Detective who ate Kate that. is on the case. Yeah. Hmm, like I wonder, like, uh, yeah, you know, and I wonder. Everybody uh, suspects Hurley. Twist, plot twist, is actually Walt. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> Um, you can follow me on Twitter at the real Will Link, and uh, you can buy my book Crazy About Kurt. You can buy it on Amazon. It's uh, on Kindle. It's super cheap on Kindle at only a dollar ninety nine, and on paperback it's twelve ninety nine because you know it's a physical thing that needs to be printed. So you know, but buy uh, buy either buy both. Congratulations again. I'm so proud of you. Yeah, it's it's great. It's great. We've been doing pretty good with it, although I got my first angry tweet today. Whoa! You you got, like, hate on social media? Yeah. That means you've made it, man. Some, well, I don't think the person read the book, but they saw the synopsis, and they were like, no, just stop. <laughs> Wait, so all they managed to read was the synopsis? Yeah. Something tells me that's all they can read. Uh, and I was oh, so what snap and here's the thing like <laughs> I was drop. It, don't at me <laughs> it took so much like of like all my willpower to not just like write them back but I did not because it's like I mean you can't engage you can't no, engage you can't. with the trolls you, you just can't, can't. he's looking for attention yeah but I mean it's like I was gonna be like you don't even know what this is about clearly again literature is not this person's forte <laughs> alright well until next time, and definitely until next time, uh, see you in another life, brother. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to No Love Lost on the podcast Jukebox Network. Yeah, we really appreciate you guys listening, and if you guys liked the show that we put on, you might like some of the other shows put on by this lovely network. Um, Off the Cuffs, which is a kink and BDSM podcast, which is very popular. Um, Being There, Will Sean podcast. Will he? Uh, he does. <laughs> uh, you would know. Drinks with God and Proud to be Kinky. Yeah, so we want to give a big thank you to this network for, for supporting us and for giving us a platform to talk about Lost On. So, guys, it would really mean a lot if you would show uh, these other podcasts some love. Yeah, go back, give them a listen. If you like us, you might like them. We're on the same network. Only makes sense. Go listen to them. Give them all five stars. Do that. And then also give us five stars. Yeah, we could use it. <laughs>